Welcome back to Everything is Public Health. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. I hate social media almost as much as I hate cars. You're already shaking your head, but... <laughs> we're just, okay, we're just getting right into it. Go for it. Yeah, you know, that, that's how this works now. I'm just going to jump right into it. So, which is why I try not to use social media. It selects for, I think, awful people to be the loudest. Anyway, so I'm just saying, I try not, use, not to use social media because to me, I see a lot of awful things on there and it's just not good for my mental health to be on there all the time. So I try not to use it. I was just going to say, I have had to take some time away from all sorts of things for a couple of weeks and I included in that social media so Mm -hmm. except for instagram because i think as we've talked about that's like (laughs) food baby animals good news kinds of things i use twitter predominantly for work and i didn't do that for a couple of weeks and it was amazing i've not yet let myself get sucked back into it so it's been like almost a month not really paying attention to twitter and my mental health is so much better Mm -hmm. highly recommend for a social media at least not a full detoxing but at least like a pull away from it but yeah like social media has been especially awful especially around the time of major news stories everyone including those with questionable opinions come out and comment on things as if They know what they're talking about. And at the time of drafting of the script, Roe v. Wade was recently struck down at the time when I wrote this script. And social media was a hellscape for a few days. I don't remember if you remember this hellscape for a few days. Well, see, here's the problem. If folks recall, the Dobbs decision, the one that struck down Roe v. Wade, came the day after the Bruin decision. You had your own hellscape. (laughs) struck down parts of New York's law, in addition to all of the other things that were going on. And so it was just like, it was a dumpster fire in a cow pasture surrounded by... I don't know. Yeah, more dumpster fires. I don't even know. But it was a mess. It was a total mess. And to be totally honest, I just had to disconnect. I felt absolutely disgusted. Me too. And couldn't engage. So I don't really know. I'm assuming it was a hellscape, but I don't really know. It was a hellscape. I think you had to deal with your own hellscape after Bruin. So I feel like your dumpster fire was your own dumpster fire in in a sort of way. And then then we added dumpster fires on top. We added another dumpster fire. But yeah, obviously there were people tweeting and posting about it from... The good side, which is like, this is an awful decision, like we're disrespecting women's rights and, you know, stuff like that. But there are some pro-life celebration tweets that were insane, delusional, cultish. I don't even know how to describe it, but there were some pro-life tweets that happened around that week that made me want to just like quit Twitter altogether. I don't know if you've seen any one of them. So I've seen a whole bunch of things, both on social media and since, but it's it's really interesting to see how these arguments hold, like these personhood of a fetus arguments. So for example, there was a woman who was driving in the carpool lane, pregnant woman. Oh, that was hilarious. And she got pulled over for driving by herself. And she's like, but my fetus is a person. Or one of the states I don't remember wants to give personhood to a fetus. It may have been Georgia. For tax purposes, yeah. Yeah, for tax purposes. But then like, what happens if you have a miscarriage before your, like after you file your taxes before your baby's born? Or something happens, like, do you get hit for tax? Yeah, it's just it's like unnecessarily complicated. Tax fraud. <laughs> and there was this one tweet, which 
I try to find again, but can't. And I can only assume because it was deleted. Who knows? But it goes something like, now women can be mothers like they're meant to be, right? Or something absurd. Right, because we were forcing people to have abortions, right? Women were not allowed to be mothers or people who could become pregnant were not allowed to have children because we had access to safe and legal abortions. Okay. Obviously, the issues with that is pretty much the phrase meant to be. And that just gives it a really ugh, tinge to it. Because on one hand, you could say motherhood is beautiful. And I was like, yeah, motherhood is beautiful. But it's another thing to say like, and women are meant to be mothers. That's like a whole different thinking there. And there was a lot of tweets that was like this around the time when uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. And you'll find a ton of these tweets that revolve around this concept of like motherhood as they defined it. I have two issues with that. So one, not every person who is capable of becoming pregnant wants to get pregnant and not all women want to be mothers. And it also implies that the only way you can be a mother is by giving birth. As the parent of two stepkids who I think of as my own kids, I find that very offensive. Yes. Like what about people who, like you said, stepkids or what about people who adopt because they can't have kids for infertility? Like, are they saying you're not a mother, right? Or you're not a parent? Even mother is kind of gendered nowadays. But my point is a lot of problematic tweets. <laughs> Being a mother is kind of gendered. That's my <laughs> You know what I mean? It's totally gendered. It's totally gendered. It should be parents. Yeah, it should be parents, right? Anyway, this is not an abortion episode. No, we have an amazing two-part episode in season one featuring Professor Joanne Rosen, who was on the show, and it was a phenomenal discussion. So definitely check that out. Yes, please. Um, But I want to focus this episode on maternal health because all that rhetoric about the magical beauty of motherhood coming from a pro-life group By that logic, they should, should care a lot about the well-being and health of mothers, right? Right? You would think so. (laughs) I mean, this is a concept, again, that we touched on a little bit in the abortion episode, as well as the sex ed series, which is another series that we had in season one. Oh, that was episode two. Those were a good one. A lot of folks, not everybody, right, painting with a broad brush, a lot of folks who are pro-life really are pro-birth. And they expect people who may be forced to carry to term a pregnancy that, for whatever reason, might have otherwise been terminated, they really are not supportive of social safety net and services available to these people. And so it's very frustrating, this sort of hypocrisy. Yeah. So one of the most direct measure of maternal health, there are obviously many measures, is maternal mortality. Do What do you think that means when I say maternal mortality? It's whether or not you survive giving birth. Infant mortality is related to that, whether your child survives within a certain amount of time. It is an exceptionally challenging thing to go through in a person's body, both being pregnant, all the changes that come along with it. The act of giving birth can be, I hate to use the word violent, but like- Oh, no, that's absolutely the right word. (laughs) Really physically demanding things, and there can be trauma to the body as a result. And so if women don't survive that process, that's a good measure of sort of how- maternal health is in a place. So bearing a child is hard. Delivering a child is harder. And maternal mortality is, it's actually purposefully broad. It's not meant to capture like, oh, is it a cardiovascular problem? Is it a bleeding problem? It's purposely broad because it wants to capture every pregnancy-associated death and also pregnancy-related death. This includes death during pregnancy 
and within up to 43 days after the end of pregnancy or labor. And it's any cause that's not external. Right. And so for folks who might not know what we mean when we're saying external, um, when we think about injuries, for example, we think about external causes, motor vehicle crashes, falls, stabbings, shootings, those kinds of things. Not a heart attack, not bleeding, not some kind of trauma associated with giving birth. Yeah. And this is purposely broad, like I said, because we want to capture everything. But even this broad definition of maternal mortality doesn't capture everything that's related to maternal mortality. Around 12% of late maternal death happens after the 43 days, but within the one year of delivery. So a big chunk of maternal mortality is postpartum that happened after the delivery has occurred. Well, I just wanted to say really quickly, the reason we think about this broad maternal mortality is because, you know, you talked about deaths during pregnancy. We think about access to prenatal care, prenatal services, those kinds of things, and that can impact the pregnant person's health uh, along with these other, like the actual act of giving birth. And the point is, it's a pretty general indicator, but it's a relatively good indicator of maternal health, right? And Cass, you probably already know this, but how is the U.S. doing on maternal mortality? We as a nation in the United States are pretty awful. We are, if we're not dead last, we are like very low on the bottom there are depending on what list of countries you're using right so economically peer countries we are like among the worst no we're dead last (laughs) i wasn't sure if we were actually dead last or near the bottom but economically peer countries we are dead last there are developing low and middle income countries that have better maternal health outcomes maternal mortality than we do in the US and we spend more on healthcare than lots of other places combined. And we still are not getting the good maternal mortality outcomes we would expect. So the numbers. So we have around 700 deaths per year associated with sort of maternal mortality. That's around 17 per 100,000 live births. So live births meaning not miscarriages, not stillbirths. So fully come to term pregnancies that result in a live birth. And as we've said, this makes us, we're we're in last place. If we think about (laughs) economically comparable countries, OECD uh, countries were dead last. And the country that's one step above us, their second to last place, their maternal mortality rate is half of ours. Yeah, we are twice as worse as second to last place. That's how bad we are when it comes to comparable countries. So as expected, in a country with no universal health care and gross inequalities, we suck, right? Obviously, this burden is not distributed equally across different groups. Uh, per usual. Per usual. Black Americans and Native Americans are suffering much higher rates, more than double of white Americans or Hispanic Americans or Asian Americans. The inequality is bad. And this difference, I think, is the first clue to the fact that it's not just about our healthcare system. The issue is much more expansive. Right. As I touched on a little bit, it's about access to reproductive services, birth control, and other contraceptive methods. It's access to education and access to good quality jobs, stable, clean housing, Um, There's so many things that tie into maternal mortality, and we have inequities and inequalities across the board on these things. But it is a really important thing to keep in mind that even individuals who have access to insurance, whether it's state-sponsored insurance or private insurance, that doesn't necessarily mean that they get good health care. 
right? Like there are still disparities by race and ethnicity, even among individuals who are insured. Yeah. So one thing worth noting is that these racial disparities are not attenuated by education level as much as we expect them to be. And furthermore, this disparity is not fully explained by income level either, which is very concerning. Right. And normally when we think about public health issues, we generally think about education and income as being equalizers, right? So you can address some of the harms associated with other public health issues with higher levels of education or higher levels of income. But we don't see that to be the case. And I I hope I'm remembering these numbers correctly. But in some areas, highly educated, middle-class African-American women have worse maternal mortality outcomes than less educated, lower income white American women. That is correct. I don't know by how much, but that is correct. And yeah, and this is, I think, indicative of just how big this problem is. And I also think that because maternal mortality is such a general problem, it is particularly suitable for public health to tackle because you can't really solve this by like, okay, let's let's figure out the clinical manifestation of these things because it's so broad. This is a public health issue because public health, our scope of things is much better at tackling ambiguous and broad things like this. But anyway, it probably won't surprise you that to know that a lot of these mortalities could be prevented. But what do you think is the driving force behind the U.S. high maternal mortality rates? Not clinical causes, because those span everywhere from stroke to bleeding to whatever, but like high level stuff. Well, I touched on this a little bit earlier, which is lack of access to prenatal screening, mm-hmm. whether that's screening the mother or the pregnant person and the fetus for issues, ensuring that pregnancies are viable because there can be issues where a pregnancy is not viable and it leads to maternal mortality. The other thing that we haven't talked directly about yet is postpartum care. Yes. So a lot of differences in postpartum care depending on where you are, who you are. And we haven't talked directly about this, but postpartum depression is a huge issue. And if we don't have standardized postpartum care or postpartum screening, we might miss that, which could also lead to issues both for the the person who gave birth as well as their child. Yeah. So you pretty much got it right. It's I love it when I'm right. (sighs) The lack of prenatal screening and the lack of standardized postpartum care. And I think prenatal screening, that one's more or less understandable. It's like, well, yeah, like you need to have regular checkups to make sure that you're growing this baby properly so that there's no unanticipated issues down the line. But I think a lot of people forget the postpartum part because like I said, a big chunk of maternal mortality happens after delivery. And postpartum care includes everything from, do you have time off after delivery or do you just have that two weeks that whatever your company gave you? Like, do you have adequate time to recover Are you pressured by economic forces to return to work as soon as you can, right? That's a huge issue. And as a result, you're probably not going to get the postpartum care that you really need to, to keep you and the baby safe. It wouldn't surprise you that a lot of other countries have postpartum care standardized across the board. We do not. We are very state-based and sometimes insurance-based, which if you think about it, yeah, a lot of people have them, but also a lot of people don't have them because of how things are structured here. Right. And we touched on this a little bit and you were just talking about this sort of with insurance. And I would encourage folks to think back to the Medicaid and insurance gap episode that we did in the first season, because we talked about how if you have a low enough income, you might be covered by state-based insurance programs, which come along with other issues related to lack of resources. And if you make enough money or have a good enough job, you may be covered by employer-based insurance or may be able to afford to buy into private insurance. But 
if you're in the middle, if you make too much to be on state insurance, but not enough to be able to afford it yourself, you fall into this gap. Now, there there are uh, specific insurances that are available for people who have become pregnant, but you have to know that that's a resource. You have to be able to tap into that. Yeah. To know and a lack of information available uh, for folks who may become pregnant who might not know. Yeah. So, you know, the lack of universal health care means that if you're uninsured, you're kind of screwed. And also high variability across plans and location, which means not everyone is getting the prenatal screening that they want. And they found a high correlation with maternal mortality and people who don't get prenatal screening. A lot of people, not out of choice, but kind of out of circumstances, they can't get prenatal screening until the third trimester, which by then is, I mean, some is better than none, but by then it's kind of too late for prenatal screening to, to sort of do anything. Other issues, social determinants of health, which, you know, it's very broad, so we could spend a whole episode on it. Uh, another issue that I want to highlight is provider shortage. Like in general, we have a OBGYN provider shortage, and we also have the wrong ratio of midwives to providers. So other countries, they really correctly assume that a lot of deliveries are low risk. So that's why you need a lot of these uh, midwives and I don't want to say lower level providers. Nurses, nurse practitioners, doulas. Non-physician providers, I guess, like that to, to help with delivery. Yeah. And th- thinking about shortages of specialties, thinking about physician shortages and OBGYN, mm-hmm. we have physician shortages for primary care providers. We do not have enough primary care providers because often an insurance plan might require you to first see a primary care doctor to then get referred to some of these other services. So if you can't get that first appointment, that could really impact your ability to get follow-up treatment, care, etc. Yeah. Hospital death. Uh, What if you just live in a place without a hospital? That's certainly a thing. And medical gaslighting. A lot of uh, black mothers, unfortunately, are reporting that a lot of their concerns are dismissed by the medical profession. Obviously, it's a very case-by-case basis, but it happens frequently enough that several articles have been written about it. Yeah, and that likely contributes to some of the disparities we see in maternal mortality between black people who can become pregnant and white people who can become pregnant. Yeah. And that is not attenuated by education. And lastly, chronic stress from being a minority or being poor. Again, huge topic, so we're not going to spend too much on it. Right. And that circles back to the social determinants of health, which we probably need to like really dig into that at some point. But things that are often outside of our own control that impact the environment and the community that we are in. You know, Dr. Keisha Pollock-Porter likes to talk about where we live, work, pray, and worship as being like sort of the social contexts that we're in. And all of there are so many things that impact those factors that can also affect a variety of health behaviors and health outcomes. Interesting how pray and worship are two separate things. Play, P-L-A-Y. <laughs> Got it. You say that again? Uh. Live, work, play, and worship. Got it. Anyway, so these are things that policy could solve. And I sort of mentioned this earlier. This is a problem that public health is especially adapted at addressing. So the ACA did address some of these things, but obviously it's not enough. And... It's not just about improving our hospitals. I think we made that clear. We see this problem because of poor maternal health system. And here are things that if the pro-life, in big quotes, pro-life people, if they really are pro-life and pro-mothers as they claim they are, they would advocate for these things. But they don't. We consistently see that they don't advocate for these things. Yeah, I think we need to be lifting up universal access to prenatal care, like zero cost yeah, access, it shouldn't not cost money. like, oh, low cost, zero cost, because if we really are thinking about 
the health and well-being of individuals who may become pregnant and their children, you you have to start early. Yes. And if we're thinking about, okay, personhood begins at the moment of conception, which is an argument yeah, yeah. that's being put forward, right? This is one of the reasons why Roe v. Wade was overturned. Then we need to be thinking about how we are supporting that personhood all throughout their development and into their life. Yeah. But they don't. Well, broad brush, right? Sure. Many folks in the pro-life camp do not really mean what they say when they say pro-life. And honestly, like now that we're talking about this, I'm also a little bit hesitant to call them pro-birth because like, <laughs> if you really wanted all of the individuals who were pregnant to have healthy infants... You would support these things. You would support universal prenatal screening and care to make sure that every single individual who was started off as a fetus becomes a person. Right. Yeah. And then just to wrap up, the US, we're not doing so hot on maternal health. And uh, we are, again, dead last in comparable countries in terms of maternal mortality, which is not a good thing to have. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. I hope you have an increased appreciation for the importance of prenatal screening and postpartum care. Absolutely. It's such an important and under-recognized issue that impacts the health and well-being of many folks in our country. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word so more people can learn about the awesomeness of public health. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen. It helps the show immensely. Send us questions or comments to everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. Reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. Follow us on Twitter at everythingisph or Instagram at everythingispublichealth. You can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Krifasi. More information regarding this episode can be found in the show notes below. Listeners, we have a Patreon page that going forward will also act as our website. Visit the site for all major updates and bonus material. We are 100% Patreon supported in that we do this not for the big paychecks from sponsors, but for the love of public health and listeners like you. And here's a word from one of our number one supporters. Hi, this is Jim. I am Cassandra's father. Thanks for listening. If you want to support the podcast directly, you can support us on our Patreon page. Link in the description below. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.